All right, before I get to my next guest, Evan Schiller, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgatoursuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next on the tee with me is Evan Schillner. If you're not familiar with Evan's work as a photographer, you need to go check out his site, evanschillerphotography.com. And I'm not exaggerating, folks, when I say this. He's the best photographer on the planet. He played his college golf at the University of Miami, where in 1981 and 82, he helped them to a third-place finish at the Andy Bean Classic, a fourth-place finish in the Furman Invitational, and a fourth-place finish in the Southeast Invitational. And in the all-or-nothing tournament at Athens Country Club, they finished fifth and earned a berth in the national championship tournament at Pinehurst, where they finished 10th. He had another strong season in 1983 and helped them finish second in the FIU Sunshine Invitational. Qualified to play in events on the PGA Tour from 1984 to 1988, including the 1986 U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. And I'm honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Evan, so much to get into with you tonight after I was doing the research. And with all the friends that I've been blessed to have on the show, there's sort of six degrees of Evan's chiller. When I look back, I mean, obviously you're good friends with Tom Patry, and TP comes on the show every other week. He's a, he's a wonderful friend and, and instructor. Had Terry Hashimoto, who played at Miami, uh, on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Cindy Miller on last week also played at the University of Miami. Missy Bertiotti, another University of Miami player. She's been on the show several times. Um, and now obviously just having Brent Dornford from Old Head on the, on in the last segment. And you've taken amazing pictures from there. Like I say, it's sort of that Kevin Bacon thing. It's six degrees of Evan Schiller here on the show. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if you, I'm sure if you did enough research, you could probably find that with it, a lot of people. Uh, yeah, wow, that's um, yeah, that's going back a long way. I don't know where you got all the. I, I'm amazed you got all the information about my college, the college tournament. I don't even remember that stuff. <laughs> so let's start there, though. Let's go back to your days at the University of Miami. First of all, how does a kid from New York City end up playing his golf down in Miami? Well, uh, well, I grew up in Westchester. I lived in, in the city till I was about four and we moved to Westchester. I just knew when I got out of high school, I wanted to go somewhere warm and play golf. So 
I didn't look at any schools north of North Carolina. <laughs> that was about as far north as I was going. Um, and actually, I went to Tulane University in New Orleans for a couple of years, and the golf program wasn't what it was deemed to be, so I transferred to Miami. Um, and it kind of it, it wasn't really planned. I was speaking to a friend who was enrolled there, and she said, "Well." What are you going to do? And I, I don't know. I'm maybe going to take a year off, take, take a look at what I want to do. She says, well, why don't you come down here and hang out and check, check out University of Miami? And I laughed. and I, said, I don't know if my father's going to let me go to Miami. Uh, anyway, so I went down. And I looked at school. I liked it. I talked to the coach. Make a long story short, I literally went to the admissions office and said, hey, what do I have to do to get in? Anyway, sent the transcript, and off I was. I had to sit out a year because at that time when you transferred, you had to out of here, so I just hung out and practiced, got to know some of the guys on the team, and that's how it kind of happened. That I ended up in the University of Miami. And Evan, like like I mentioned, I mentioned a whole bunch of players there just a moment ago, but you also played yeah. alongside. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nathaniel Crosby and Woody Austin, right? I did. Yes, they were both on. Uh, they were both on my team. Um, obviously, Woody went on to play on the tour and, the, you know, the Champions Tour and uh, Nathaniel won the U.S. Amateur. Um, he won the Porter Cup as well. And I actually, um, you know, I still stay in touch with Nathaniel, uh, a couple other guys on the team. But, yeah, that was, uh, that was we, had a, we had a good team. Um, actually, Johnny, I don't know if you know Johnny Doppelt. He lives on Long Island. Uh, he was on the team as well. So, uh, yeah, we had, a, we, had a, we had a good team there for a while. And after you graduate from Miami, you go on to become a PGA professional, and you've played in several events on the PGA Tour. Talk about where your golf journey took you after you left Miami. So, let's see. I, Miami, I played uh, a summer of amateur golf. And, again, I wasn't um, quite sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure that I was good enough to turn professional and play. And at the coaxing of my father, who said, you know, he said to me, you don't want to look back and say 20 years and regret that you didn't do it. And, you know, and look back and say, hey, I wish I had at least given that a try. And he says, what do you have to lose? You know, give it a try for two, three years. You'll know when it, you know, if it's time to either continue or not. And so at the coaxing of my father, I filled out the application to go to tour school. Um and I, you know, my first attempt, the first couple of attempts, I didn't get through. Uh, so I went and started playing some mini tours in Florida. Um, I played various other tournament weapons. I, and I actually, I did. I, they used to have, I don't even know if they still have, I think they do Monday qualifiers for the tour events. It was essentially you'd have to pay $100. Uh, you know, there was anywhere between 100 and 150 guys would show up on Monday. You know, they'd all put in $100, and they'd play, and they would take the, the full score, and they would get in the tournament. And I just thought, wow, this is great. This is a way to get up. You know, if you don't have your card, it's at least a way to play. So I just took the attitude, hey, I got one day. I might as well just go for broke. Uh, and I, I don't know how many I entered, but I, I don't know when I got in eight or nine of them. Uh, I just, I don't know. It was just, I did really well with them. So I got into, you know, eight or nine 
seven, eight, nine tour events uh, through that Monday qualifying process, as well as, uh, yeah, you mentioned the 86 U.S. Open. That that was kind of a similar thing, but it was two-stage qualifying. I got in and played at Shinnecock. Oh, I, I don't know if I let's say I played at Shinnecock more than played me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that, because as I was sort of going through and looking at the history of that, you know, that 86 U.S. Open, I mean, Raymond Floyd won it, Jack Nicholas obviously coming off as the Masters, but you had all the big names there. I mean, Trevino, Watson, Johnny Miller, Greg Norman, Seve, Bernard Long. I mean, all those guys are in that event. And it was the week right after the Westchester Classic. So what was it like going there, qualifying, and then teeing it up with those guys? Uh, well, actually, I qualified for the Westchester Classic the week before as well. So I played there. Um, and then uh, so I went out to Long Island. It was a friend of mine who had a house out in Hampton, Hampton gave me the house for the week. And wow. I don't know if you know what yeah, the Hamptons are like in the summer or June. It's, you know, it's hard to get a place. It's expensive, let alone when the U.S. Open's going on. So, uh, yeah, I um, I remember going out there, getting my courtesy car, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. You know, just, you know, USGA, U.S. Open courtesy car. Uh, a good friend of mine, Caddy, for me at this house. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So I went out on a Sunday. Um, well, maybe it was a Saturday night, and I played a practice round on Sunday. And I remember going out early in the morning, hit some balls, and it was really foggy. I'm out there on the range hitting balls, and I noticed there's a guy, there's somebody hitting balls behind me. And the sound that was coming from the shots that this man was hitting, I had never heard before. It's almost like I could feel the ground, like a little bit of vibration. At least I thought I could. But I'd never heard a sound like that from anybody hitting golf ball. And I turned around, it was Greg Norman, you know, like 10 feet behind me, hitting balls, and he's just lacing these things. And if you recall, he led every major going into the last round that year. Right. So needless to say, I wanted to, I was a little nervous. And then out of the fog from the other direction, another guy comes and puts his balls down about, 15 feet in front of me the other way. It's Nicholas. Wow. So those, those two are going out to play a practice round. They knew each other. So here I am sitting between Nicholas, who won the Masters, and Norman, who's led, you know, I think at the time he was either ranked one or two in the world. I don't know. Or he was up there. Um, so I'm sitting between these two hitting golf balls. I, was, I wanted to look for the, you know, the closest rock so I could crawl under it and hide. <laughs> talk, about feeling, talk about feeling small. Uh, anyway, that was my introduction to the U.S. Open. Um, so I thought, oh, the first two is going to be easy now. <laughs> After that. Uh, no doubt. Anyway. And, yeah, yeah, and the first round had to be brutal, like you mentioned a moment ago, because all the guys I mentioned shot opening rounds in the mid to upper 70s. You were in the very last group of the day teeing off, I believe, at 3.42 p.m. What was that first round like? I want to know where you got all this information. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody I do my me. research, my friend. Oh, oh my God. Uh, yeah, it was It was an awful day. It was raining, it was windy, cold. 
Uh, I know they had a delay tea times for a while because of the rain or thunderstorm. So my original tea, I don't think my original tea time, my original tea time might have been 3.40, but I don't think I teed off till like 5 o'clock or something. I don't remember. It was so late because I got to the, uh, I believe it was the 13th hole, and I hit my drive in the rough. And P.J. Boatwright came out and said, we're suspending play because it was getting dark. I don't know what time. It was it dark? You know, it was June, so, you know, who knows? It was 8 o'clock. Or so. I don't know what it was. Uh, and I said, thank God. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> you're playing a U.S. Open course. And it's, I mean, I don't know what the average is. One of the highest average scores for any one round still to this day in U.S. Open history. Um, it was tough. So I said, I'll be glad to come back in the morning and finish. So, you know, you come out in the morning, it's beautiful. Uh, so yeah, that first day was kind of brutal. Um, yeah, and I, I heard that they said, Dory went, Ray Floyd won the U.S. Open on that first day because he didn't hit the ball very well. I don't know how many greens he hit. He didn't hit many, but they said he got it up and down from everywhere. Had he not, he may not have won. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, yeah. It was. It was a very memorable week. I didn't make so let's cut. fast forward a couple of months after the California Open that August. I read that you drove to check out a new course at the time, Pete Stadium course at PGA West. Talk about that course and how it inspired you to start bringing a camera out when you started playing. Whenever you were going to play. Yeah. Actually, uh, actually, Tom and I. Uh, were out in uh, California desert, La Quinta. We stayed at the La Quinta Hotel. It was like forty bucks a night. It was in it was in July or August. It was hot. I remember driving down Highway 111. The sign said 120 degrees in the middle of the day. Uh, so yeah, we played the California Open. After we finished, somebody suggested that we go down the road to a new course, a new Pete course at PJ West. And it turns out it was the stadium course at PJ West that they had just finished. It was it's the sister course to Sawgrass. So we got up early and we played because we wanted to play before it got really hot. Uh, they come to the ninth hole and the ninth hole is par four, slight little dog leg to the right. I don't even know what to call it dog leg, just kind of curves a little bit. There's there's this lake. There's a sand trap that runs almost the length of the lake. And you have railroad ties, you know, separating the sand from the lake. And, you know, the peat dye railroad ties and then the fairway and the green. And the backdrop is this mountain. So we hit our shot and I'm walking and it's dead calm. And there's a perfect reflection of the mountain and the water. Um, Incidentally, the hole is called reflection. Uh, no doubt why. And I looked at this and I said, wow, this is really beautiful. And didn't have cell phones at that time. Said, I gotta go home. I gotta bring, start bringing a camera with me. So it was that scene that inspired me to go home, get a camera and start taking with me. And I, you know, subsequently did and just could take the camera with me, taking pictures of my friends or the courses I played. And I remember I would hang them up in my bedroom. You know, the whole, it was a little like, you know, eight by ten, but I had the whole top of my wall lined 
with these photos I had taken of all the courses I played. Little did I know what it was going to amount to years later. <laughs> so enter our mutual friend, Tom Patry, who is near and dear to both of our hearts. And yeah. he was, I believe, the head golf professional at Westchester Country Club, and you were an assistant pro there. And TP suggests something to you about the pictures you're taking. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, no, not I. Um, well, I I was working at Quaker Ridge, and John um, John Kennedy got the director of golf. Had John Kennedy was the director of golf or head pro, and um, Tom, I believe, went there as the director of instruction. And he called me and said, "Would you be interested in coming over here?" So we talked, and I said yes. Uh, so I don't remember which year it was. My first or second year um, photos of the golf course just for fun like I had been doing. So he suggested uh, that why don't you put some photos in the pro shop um, during the Buick Classic because you know the Buick Classic used to be there every year in June. And I kind of laughed and I thought that was pretty funny, right? Like like a joke, like who the hell's going to buy these things? So I did and uh, you know, lo and behold, it's like the Monday or the Tuesday during the Pro-Am, a number of them sold. I had to get some more. I had to get some more made frame to put them back in because somebody had bought them. And, yeah, that's how it got started. You know, I did it at a few other clubs in the area, and, you know, one thing led to the next, and then clubs were asking me, and it just it took off from there. That was kind of, that was the start of it. Again, little did I know what it was going to amount to. I didn't... Um, I never thought you could make a living as a photographer. Now you're sort of the guy, have camera and ladder, oh, by the way, will travel. Talk about the places your photography has taken you that you never thought you'd have an opportunity to be. Oh, my God. Um, wow. Um, oh, I mean, well, I went to, I've been to South Africa, but I don't know that it was because of my photography necessarily was more because I was playing golf, but I did go back there because of my photography. Uh, wow, all over uh, Ireland and Scotland, all over this country, uh, you know, Mexico, Hawaii. You know, I don't know that I ever would have gone to Hawaii, or I probably would have ended up there, but not as many times as I did if it wasn't, you know, I don't know how many times I've been to Hawaii, 10. But mainly from photography, all around Canada, the Caribbean. I don't know that I would have gone to the Caribbean as many times as I've been there. Just you know, getting to go to some of these incredible resorts, you know, some really magnificent golf courses, private resort um, that I, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to probably had it not been for my photography. Um, yeah, so I feel very fortunate. You mentioned Ireland, Evan, and as uh, you may have uh, heard, I had Brent Dornford the marketing director of Old Head Golf Links on in the last segment. And, and you've been there and taken some stunning pictures of that property. Talk about your experience at Old Head. Uh, yeah, I've been there, I want to say, three or four times. I don't remember. Uh, recently, I think it was three or four years ago. Um, it is, well, how can I say this? It's one of, if not the most stunning settings I've ever been to. I mean, I haven't been to New Zealand to, you know, Tara Edi or Cape Kidnappers or um, Tari Cliffs yet, but uh, it 
it's just incredible, stunning location. You know, it like Brent said, it sits out on the headland. Uh, and it's just, headlands is this little peninsula that sticks out onto the water. I think the lighthouse might be two miles out. I mean, so this thing, is, it sticks out to the water a mile and a half or two. One of the things that I, I mean, it all, of course, is fabulous, and it has improved over the years because they made some really, really wonderful changes that it keeps improving. One of the things that I was blown away, you know, not just the setting and the beauty that the water is all around you, the incredible cliffs was, and then Brent had talked about it, was the wildlife and the fauna you know, the trees and the bushes and the flowers. I mean, I think they have they have species there and they have species of plants and animals that I don't think they have in too many other, that are just, you know, indigenous just to that place. Um, so, you know, you walk around and you feel like you're in this wildlife sanctuary that, that happens to have a golf course on it. Um, <laughs> oh, by the yeah. way. Yeah, by the way, it's a golf course on it. And the town of Kinsale is wonderful, beautiful, little, just incredible harbor, great restaurants, great place to stay. It's just, it's, it's really idyllic. Uh, you know, whether the, you know, the, depending, the, regardless of the weather, you know, it could be, I've had beautiful days, I've had windy days, I've had rainy days. So, uh, yeah, it's, there's no shortage of incredible beauty there. <laughs> Yeah, I could spend, you know, weeks there photographing that place and never get tired of it. No doubt. Evan, just yeah. a couple more before I let you go. And I love the shot you have available on your website um, of the 18th hole at St. Andrews. And the story behind how you were able to get it, it's that elevated picture of the 18th hole. Do you mind sharing that story? I'm amazed you found all these things. Um, yeah. so. We had gone to St. Andrews. I don't remember if it was my first or second trip there. And the weather was, I mean, I think for four days I just watched it rain, basically. So the one day, finally, the sun comes out one day. And I want to get up. You know, I didn't have a drone then. This was, you know, back before people were really using drones. Uh, I wanted, and I didn't have a helicopter. I wanted to get up high, photograph the 18th pole. You know, the first and the 18th hole run right next to each other. And I thought, well, you know, the, the, the old course hotel is there. So I thought, well, maybe I can crawl up on the roof, get something from up there. So we go into the hotel, and I said, is there a way to get to the roof? Nobody seems to know. Or you go up to the restaurant. There's a restaurant up there. So I, we get in the elevator. I go up to the restaurant. I said, listen, can I go out on your patio there and want to take some? No. I said, I just want to go out there for a few minutes and take some. But no. Okay. And I, I realized that there's floors above the re the restaurant. And God, there's got to be a way to get on the roof. So I'm going down all these hallways, stairways, trying to figure out. My wife is getting real nervous that we're going to get in trouble. And I said, I don't care. Uh, you know, the worst, the worst thing's going to happen is they're going to kick us out. So I finally find the staircase and there's a, I guess I can take it all the way up and I, I think there's close to the roof, but I couldn't open the door. So I'm like kicking it and <laughs> I got this door open and I'm on the roof. I made it around. I kind of had this ledge, so I crawl up on the ledge and look right down on the 18th and the first hall. That's perfect. So I went up there and the photo. Yeah. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> 
And Evan, you've taken photos uh, for the Masters Journal now for several years. What was it like being asked to come to Augusta National to take photos for them? Um, it was, uh, well, I'll tell you, my, I was actually, Golf Digest uh, publishes the Masters Journal for Augusta. And I knew some people at Golf Digest, uh, Mike Johnson, who's still there, who's the equipment editor. He and I had grown up playing junior golf together. And they were looking for somebody to, not their staff guys, their staff guys there, you know, were there shooting the action. They wanted somebody to do a special assignment, be there to do a special assignment. Calls me and said, hey, do you want to do this? Said, yeah, sure. So the guy who publishes um, the Masters Journal gave me a call, said, hey, we want you to come down for the week um, to shoot the, you know, to shoot the tournament for us. You know, there's, they had all these different things they wanted me to shoot, special assignments. But I, I mean, other than that, I had free reign to go, you know, shoot whatever I wanted to. Um, so yeah, essentially spend a week at the master. I mean, it, there's a lot of walking. Wow. But, but the great thing is they give you, uh, they give you an assistant who carries all your equipment because I'll tell you what. Wow. Walking up and down those hills is for a week is a lot. I mean, you talk about having shin splints at the end of the week. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was incredible experience. My first year there uh was two thousand five. And that's the year that Tiger chipped in. Yeah. You remember from behind the, yeah, so I was right. Yeah. There's a spot so the grandstand on the fifteenth, to the right of the fifteenth hole. If you get in the top right-hand corner, you can look down right on the six, because the 16th hole runs behind the 15th green. So the, if you get in the back, you're up in the grandstand to the right of the 15th, up in the back right, you essentially look right down on the 16th green, right there. So I got to know this member, and I said, boy, I'd really like to get up here, you know, Sunday afternoon. And he said, well, if you come here early, right, I'll save you a spot. But you got to get here like, you know, two hours early. So I had my assistant go there, essentially, go sit in that spot. Because those grandstands are packed and you can't even get in on Sunday. Right. So I had him go up, I had him go up to the top right and sit there and hold the spot. So I came and he moved out, basically sat on the aisle and I sat in the upper right hand corner when Tiger came through. So when he chipped in, I was standing, I was right there looking right down on him. I mean, it was the grand, I'd never heard a roar that loud in my life. Grandstand shook. Wow. Yeah. What a uh, tremendous so, moment. Yeah, that was pretty, I mean, it was, I'd never heard a, a, a yell that loud at a golf tournament. <laughs> Explosion. No uh, doubt. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Well, Evan, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they first of all check out your website and everything you've got available on that, and then keep up yeah. to date with all the great things you're doing by following you on social media. Yeah, uh, it's EvanSchillerPhotography dot com. Pretty easy. I mean, if you Google Evan Schiller, it'll come up. And uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's Basically, if you search Evan Schiller Photography, you can find it on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of, all of them. Um, so you can see 
you know, I'm probably the most active on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, but I do post on others as well. So, yeah, you can kind of follow along with what I'm doing there. Because I usually, whenever I'm on a shoot, um, I usually post some images from where I am. So, yeah. Well, Evan? I made a lot of friends through uh, social media, so we keep in touch. Well, Evan, it's been a huge thrill having you as part of the show and so many other things I'd love to get into with you. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. That would be great. Yeah, I'd love to. That would be great. Yeah, I know. You could talk forever, right? (laughs) Yes. You've got so many great experiences and so much of your photography is, like I said, I think you're the best photographer on the planet. Uh, Your use of light is something that uh, I don't think anybody else does. Uh, It's it's tremendous. I'd, I'd sure love to spend some more time with you sometime. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me on. We would appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Evan. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. All right. You got it. That was a great Evan Schiller. S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R is the spelling of his last name. Evan Schiller. Photography.com is the name of his site. And you can follow him on Twitter, again, at Evan underscore Schiller on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Folks, you take a look at his pictures and you're going to be blown away. Absolutely spectacular stuff. I enjoy it. I'm going to be ordering some uh, pictures, particularly of Old Head. And how great was that story about how he got the picture of the 18th at St. Andrews? Can't not get that photo after hearing that story. I look forward to having Evan back on the show again a little bit later on this year.